excuse me, excuse me, um, Paul and Tom, when do I get to say that this week the Pope said that Costa Rican coffee is the best in the world? I, I think there are other things going on in the world this week. Can't you save it for next it's week? It's like the Pope is saying Costa Rican coffee is a bit... It's just, it's just weird. Like, maybe this is all like the Truman Show, but instead of like us being in a big dome, we're in some sort of Costa Rica propaganda machine. Well, not only that, but what is the Pope doing? Is he future saying, the Pope brings you home insurance? Whatever with, happened to kind yeah. of like, you know, don't sin? The, and, the, the, the Pope is above all bad and evil and good okay. and everything. He's like infallible. All right, all right, all right. I think there are other right. things going on this week. Five. Hello and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. I'm Tom Rivik Karnak. I am exhausted, Christiana <laughs> Figueres. I mean, beyond beyond any level of exhaustion, but I'm still me. Poor Christiana and I'm Paul Dickinson. Feeling very sorry for Christiana. Poor her. It's the end of two years at Coffin Club. Two days. Two days. Of co- it feels <laughs> same like thing. two years. Yeah, same thing. And we're going to bring you our reflections from the World Leaders Summit. Thanks for joining us. I mean, being here. Or whatever it is. <laughs> now. <laughs> So it is late on Tuesday night. Uh, we got Incredibly up, late. It's like ridiculous o'clock. Very late. We're waiting for Indian food. We got up at like four o'clock this morning to start the day. Uh, Christiana's done about 30,000 media interviews. I've done a whole bunch. There's been speeches. How are you feeling, what, what Christiana? Else has been, yeah. How are you feeling? Honestly, I can't even describe it. I am so exhausted. Shanna is almost horizontal. She's kind of lying down in this very comfortable chair. She's in one of those chairs that, like, (laughs) easy to get into, hard to get out of. (laughs) Poor thing. Right. How have you you enjoyed it? We're being reminded of what cops were, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can't believe people did this for two weeks. I'm ready to go home. We we did this for three weeks. That's true. Because we got there a week and a half, a week before. That's true. Then we had the whole two weeks, and we worked... 18 and 20 hours a day. Yeah. How did we ever survive? And they are doing that in there, right? I mean, the cop team have already pulled their first all-nighter. They oh, did yeah. it. Oh, yeah, 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 for yeah. Sure. To, to, to land the so agenda right So is this a right moment to salute yeah. the leadership of, of um, Patricia Espinosa and the whole UNFCCC team? Well, and the cop presidency. And the cop presidency. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, parties, otherwise known as governments or anybody else that goes to a cop, have no idea how much work goes on behind the scenes. Mm. They have no idea. Now... I'm sure that most of our listeners have dialed in to hear how tired we are, but maybe they also want to know what's been going on. Yes, 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 quite. Thank you for reminding us of the point of this whole conversation. Right. Tom, would you like to lead us into a summary? Yeah, Tom, I don't know if I can quite do that. I mean, I have to say the difficult thing about this podcast is going to have is going to be that there has been a lot. It's actually been a really impressive, amazing. a really impressive and amazing couple of days. So let's just start, and we won't have to spend too long on this, but let's just start with the political signal. I mean, this has been the largest gathering of heads of state on any functional issue since Paris. Um, the 1.5 What do you mean degrees? functional issue? Are there dysfunctional what does that issues? That's a really good point. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it makes you yeah. seem really like quite yeah. heavyweight. I, I nearly you know, got away with like, it. I don't yeah, know exactly. what a functional yeah. issue is. Yeah. Like Tom yeah. knows. Like, so it's a whole thing I've this not has read been about. A 20 years I've been doing functional meeting. Yeah. <laughs> the largest gathering of heads of state since Paris. 
Um, 1.5 degrees has been very much affirmed. No one is backtracking as far as I can see on 1.5. There has been amazing... Wait, can we just take a moment to truly underline how amazing that is? Yeah. Because honestly, just three years ago, we were all, we and everyone else, was still referring to two degrees, or in the best of all cases, well below two. The fact that that IPCC report has just completely changed the GPS for all of us and that everyone is now referring to 1.5. Honestly, I think that is fantastic. It, um, so but this uh, is takeaway food from an Indian restaurant, right? It is. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Paul. Um, and, and, and most, so coming out of the G20, we should say 1.5 was put in as the target. Yes, they didn't even the mention G20. G, at the G20, which is incredible. Incredible. Although I do have to say that I saw Xi Jinping, the Chinese lead negotiator, giving an interview today in which he really dialed it back. And he said, we cannot shift to 1.5. Two degrees has been agreed through negotiation. If we reopen that, then actually there's going to be a whole bunch of problems. So a little bit of cold water on that, but there has been progress. We're in that slightly complicated middle ground now where many are focusing on 1.5, but there are, of course, still those who aren't. Well, I'm impressed that he that is I've been dialing... watching press conferences? Yeah, no, that he's dialing back on that because as far as I'm concerned, 250 is down the drain. Everybody is now really being expected to focus on 2030. Two degrees is down the drain. Everyone is being expected to focus on 1.5. And the consequence of that, which I think is absolutely correct, is that the five-year cycle that we have in the Paris Agreement has now been shrunk to a yearly cycle. Right. Well, well, that's 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 a really important element, the right? The five-year cycle that we were expecting for the Paris Agreement has been shrunk to a yearly cycle. Yes. That's brilliant. But, well, but, well, it, well, it's well, not well, been sort confirmed, of. right? It hasn't been approved. It is on the table as a proposal from the most vulnerable countries because they rightly say, look, hold on a minute. This COP26 has done incredible achievements and progress, but we're not on the 1.5 pathway. And therefore, instead of waiting five years, let's do a yearly cycle of increased ambition. So so that's something that is on the table and we that are hoping... That is on the table and that we should keep our eyes on. Yeah, we are hoping we'll be agreed next we week. We are hoping that that's going to be agreed on. Okay. Honestly, that is the most important multilateral okay. agreement. So, so we're already demonstrating the difficulty we're going to have with this conversation, which is that there's so much we can't kind of keep it in a proper okay, way. Okay, sorry, Tom. No, 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 Did you fine. have a summary that you so, wanted no, to no, share? No, no, I don't. So, so back to the political signal. I mean, I would have to say largest gathering of heads of state since Paris, incredible signal from all of them in terms of 1.5, the direction. And also, I think very smartly, heads of state are now leaving this evening, Tuesday evening here in Glasgow. And I saw Alok Sharma give a speech in which he specifically called on heads of state before they left to say you have to leave your ministers and your negotiating teams with really clear briefs about what they now need to deliver very clever right good on him good on him okay so let's turn one of the big i think we should go through some of the big commitments that came out but one that i would like to start with is india's new commitment yes net zero 2070 50 percent of their energy from renewable sources by 2030 which what? may which could mean peaking in 2030. Which could mean, as Nick Stern says, yeah. What do we think about India's commitment? 2070, too far away or impressive? Well, you know, honestly, the first time I heard it, I'm like, well, what? What do you mean 2070? We're at 2050. <laughs> and so I, honestly, I actually even went to the press and said, 
this is not good news. But the more we look at the analysis, uh, apparently that's actually very, very important for bending the curve and being at one half global emissions for 2030. So actually pretty impressive from where they were before. No, I mean, I, you know, what's to not like? This is the, what was it? Someone's got the delivery cup, right? There's so further commitments and then all these other announcements about forests, about methane. Actually, we're now in a situation whereby the private sector is way ahead in, of, of governments in terms of what it's committing to. I mean, we all know that everyone's going to be held accountable for this stuff. But actually, we're now starting to see a situation whereby there are increasing breakthroughs of governments and we can expect more. And oddly enough, I do think there's something sinister when we're in such a crisis. Sinister? That there would be five <laughs> years between uh, uh, accounting. It, as you may know... Functionally sinister. Functionally sinister, extremely <laughs> functional, or dysfunctionally sinister. Okay. You may know that uh, corporations are often bigger than, than countries and they report annually on how they're performing on climate change. Why should countries be able to wait five years? It's crazy. Of course, you know, we're, we're in a, this is a decisive decade and you can't like revisit what's going on twice. You have to do it annually. I got a blink out of Cristiano. I think that's a good sign, but there's no way of knowing. Meanwhile, it's, it's meanwhile the food that's arrived is all getting cold. Now, if listeners don't mind a little bit of rustling, uh, are you going to eat Indian food? You know, well, no, food? Really, yeah. no, no, no. I think we finish our conversation. Okay, right. okay. One okay. thing, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to finish the show. Okay, <laughs> all right. Clay has spoken. Clay's, Clay's at Mission Control in Detroit. Now, now, just connected to that India commitment, um, there were a couple of other commitments that are interesting. The US and the UK announced $8.5 billion to speed up South Africa's energy transition. That's a big deal, right? That's to actually transform. Um, and there was also... Sharon is happy. Sharon's South happy. African. Another carbon neutrality goal from Nigeria. And the calculation now is that only 11% of emissions are untouched by a net zero goal. On the 31st of January this year, it was 50%. And it's now wow. only 11%. That's... So that means, sorry if my math is incorrect, but that means 89% of global emissions are under net zero targets. Your math is perfect, Christiana. I'm so glad I learned math (laughs) in La Lucha. Oh my gosh. That's huge, isn't it? That's huge. And at the beginning of this year, it was only 50%. That's huge. As my taxi driver said last night, it's got to get done. So (laughs) it's getting done. Now, outside, meanwhile, on the streets, so to say, just as... I've experienced amazing targets being announced, particularly by corporations, for example, alongside governments within the COP. There have been demonstrations outside where people have been criticizing companies and saying that they're duplicitous and double-sided, and many of these accusations are no doubt true. But there's something going on here. There's the kind of kindling and the flame, and I think we're going to find a way to kind of burn through the blockages now. It does feel like an auspicious time. I'm feeling very positive, actually. Yeah, I am too. I'm feeling, I mean, I have to say, 48 hours ago, coming out of the G20, we were here, we were looking at some of Boris Johnson's statements that he was making at the close of the G20. He was looking like a sort of schoolboy who'd suddenly realized he hadn't done his homework. And all of his language gave every indication he'd never read the Paris Agreement, as far as I could see. But actually, since then, things seem to have changed completely. Now his language is absolutely on point. He's woken up. He's woken up. His language is absolutely on point. Whoever's writing his briefs is doing a great job. And or, or, or better still, he's actually reading his Or maybe his he's actually reading them. He's right, he has to read them. And well, actually the narrative in, in, has you know, When you're backed in yeah. a corner, a prime minister might actually do that, I would imagine. Right. Right. Well, I suppose in extremis, yeah. With the big um, light shines on you. Now, 
a lot's happened on Forest today. Should we go to yes, Forest? Okay. Yes, yes. So one of the biggest announcements that came out today, and this has been a long time in the making, uh, was a commitment to end and reverse deforestation by 2030. A hundred world leaders covering 85% of global forests signed up to this. Now, I mean, hold on. <laughs> Again, just take a breather. Yeah, seriously. And truly understand what that means. And what's amazing is... That is happened at a climate cop because right. we have realized... Not at the CBD, at the biodiversity cop. At the climate cop because people have realized we cannot meet our climate goals unless we deal Without with forests. Without nature. Yeah. Thank God. And I mean, we've been critical sometimes and supportive of the UK government and its approach to this cop. However... This is an area where they've really shone. Minister yes. Zach Goldsmith and the Prime Minister deserve a lot of credit for keeping yes. this front and centre. Now, you can be critical of this, right? If you look at the New York Declaration of Forests from 2014, that was a big commitment to reduce deforestation. Deforestation rates actually climbed. This is now a commitment that includes Brazil and Bolsonaro. So there's a big question here about monitoring and is this really going to happen? We should approach that with a degree of skepticism. But there's money to go with this. Exactly. It's backed exactly. up with real money. It's That's going to help. Yeah. That's 12 billion in public funds just to 2025, 1.7 billion specifically for uh, indigenous groups. And what I find really interesting about this is we always talk about a systemic transformation of the economy, right? Alongside those public commitments, 30 finance institutions at the same time with $9 trillion in assets committed to eliminating deforestation from their portfolios, right? So that gets it from another angle. And 10 of the largest agricultural commodity companies committed to action in their supply chains to completely get rid of deforestation. So this has been really cleverly constructed for a systemic transformation where everything supports everything else. I would say deforestation is actually being squeezed out. And you do it by cutting the demand. You need to stop people buying the products that cause deforestation to occur. And yeah, coming it from all sides, I have to say that we've been looking at this for years in my organization. And uh, I think that, you know, if you kill the demand, you kill the supply. That's the key. And I mean, I don't want to get too hyperbolic with this, but you know, what you just said, that is the end of deforestation. If this stuff happens, it's got real money behind it. It's got real political commitments with timeframes. There's philanthropic money as well. We saw Jeff Bezos announce $2 billion for nature in Africa and restoration. That is amazing. We have been struggling for this moment for all of our professional careers and the generation before us. Now, again, we can't take it all on face value. We should be skeptical and we should apply. Not skeptical. Not skeptical. We should be, what is it? Like uh, trusting God, but tie your camel. That's the one, isn't it? Trusting God, but what? Tie, <laughs> tie your camel. Okay, what does that mean? Otherwise, the camel goes off, and even though you're like you, you're devoted to God, uh, you've lost a camel, so you tie it up. I see. It's it's a kind of each way bet we call it in English. I think we found the title of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> tie your camel. <laughs> well, kind of, but I mean, what what it really says? We're not being skeptical. What we're going to do is we're going to, as whatever we are, civil society, NGOs, actually corporations and investors can also be watchdogs as can governments of each other and there's all those eyes in the sky the satellites but together we can hold these to account and the point you just made is critical right eyes in the eye satellite no no it's very good eyes in the satellites just like say it again eyes in the sky satellites that is the that is the big difference compared to where we were even in 2014 we are monitoring every time now a tree gets cut down 
in any part of the world, actually, it registers pretty quickly that that's happened. And because much of this financing is tied to delivery, right? Another thing that happened today is the Leaf Coalition announced the first billion dollars. The Leaf. You know, co- you get the trees, you get the leaves as well. They're all, they're <laughs> oh, sorry. It's <laughs> wonderful insight, Paul. The Leaf Coalition is the intention to have to provide a mechanism by which companies can participate in protecting standing forest and secure. Uh, carbon credits as a result of that. So, you know, this is just... So, you know, what what I love about that is that this this whole, you know, sort of ecosystem, not the natural ecosystem, but the political structural ecosystem is contriving to actually do this because you now have a political signal. You have funding that is being devoted to this. You have a hell of a lot of social pressure, right? Um, you have the technologies to make this transparent. And so all of this is actually gelling yeah. at the same time. So the stars are aligning finally, finally. Tom Clements, I have to give a shout out to Tom Clements. He is Zach Goldsmith's senior advisor, and he has been day and night on this. He was responsible for this whole event, and I've seen him for the last year putting enormous amounts of effort. So this in, is yeah. a shout out for Tom, not for Tom yeah. Rivet Carnell. <laughs> Specifically excluded from this shout-out. Specifically <laughs> excluded, Tom Clement. All right. Methane? Methane. Methane, yeah. All right. Methane. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Methane know. is the fastest, as listeners to this podcast will be well aware, methane, uh, reducing methane can have the biggest impact on... Short term, right? Short term, exactly, in this decade. And there was an enormous amount of progress made today. 105 governments covering 40% of methane emissions and at least 60% of global GDP have now signed up to a pledge to reduce methane, 30% by 2030. Now, this is interesting. A lot of the top methane-emitting countries, the US, EU, Indonesia, but not all the worst methane emitters are on board. China, Russia, Australia, India haven't signed up. So this is a big deal because there had to be something big on methane at this COP, given the significant impact that it can have on global heating. And so this is a big step in that direction. And I feel really encouraged that it's happened. But this is one where I think I would say, I kind of, it didn't quite knock it out of the park. I don't want to feel like I'm looking at gift horse in the mouth, but it would have been nice to have had China and India and Russia in that too. Well, that is true. But the the other piece that is still missing, but that could come, I'm not sure if at COP26, is this is actually very much for corporations to do. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. And and so, you know, I, I think once the political signal is given at the national government level, Corporations are going to have to get with the program, and um, and so I'm actually quite excited about the reaction that we're going to get eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, from corporations. Yeah, you know, I was once with a big gas company, and um, they had something on the wall saying that they'd only ever had like one fatality in five years, or five fatalities, or something in in their huge operations. But their fugitive methane, actually, if you divided it by the number of people the World Health Organization said were dying from climate change, their fugitive methane was killing 50 people a year. So, yes, you've got to tighten those bolts and invest in the infrastructure. But corporations are good at that. The technology is getting better. The seals are getting better. Everything's getting better. So it can be done. Corporations got a duty to follow government's lead here rather than the other way around, which is what we were talking about earlier. So, I mean, hopefully we'll see more progress on that in the coming days, as you say. I mean, it, it, it is great it's happened and actually had a lot of political support behind it. So just raising this up the political agenda, helping people understand. I mean, it is the biggest no-brainer you can imagine 
in an area where there's a totally. lot of no-brainers, right? You save money by doing it. It's just a question of good management, but it can have an enormous impact. Um, so... You've run out of announcements. <laughs> there's loads here. I'm just trying to make sense of them. Yeah, no, it's been a very impressive sort of surround sound of so many different types of announcements. I mean, obviously the methane and the agriculture and land use pieces were a big part of it, but there's been a long tail of other commitments too. I mean, and I just found it amazing to be walking around inside the Blue Zone today, 120 heads of state in a sort of 400 metre area. It was really felt like the world was coming together. How did you find it, Christiane? I mean, this is the first big cop that you've been back to since Paris. How, it is. How's it been for you? Um... Well, you know, when we first arrived on Sunday, yeah, I truly had to take a while, it was more than a few minutes, to walk around and arrive because it was such a deja vu for me. Mm. I mean, this truly is the biggest cop since Paris. And I was in my heart and soul back in Paris and I remembered you know, walking through Le Bourget and um, and getting a sense of where the energy was. Mm. And I really had to walk through this place to get first a geographic orientation that I'm terrible at, but more than anything, an energetic orientation. Mm. I really wanted to figure out where are we at the start of this. And I was actually quite delighted hmm. to find that um, at least what I perceived there was a there was a nervous energy definitely nervous um but a good energy definitely coming from the cop presidency mm-hmm. um n- nervous and happy and expectant and people actually quite open to find out well what's going to happen and I was actually quite quite happy with that. Hmm. I also went, I think, the day after to visit old colleagues in the secretariat, and that was actually quite emotional for me because um, they're just such a brilliant team, and I loved so much working with that team. And so it was actually quite emotional for me to to see so many old colleagues and friends working now on the next the next generation of issues. Hmm. Yeah, it's been lovely to run into people all around. I mean, it really feels like sort of being surrounded by old friends. I really like that. How, how's it been for you, Paul? Well, one thing that I actually really, really enjoyed today is I noticed that this is the conference of the parties, right? But it's also an enormous conference. Like there huge. are two huge exhibition halls that are full of different uh you know stands there are nations there are coalitions there are investors there are technologies i even went up to the compassion in world farming booth to say (laughs) well you know it's fantastic what you're doing you know thanks for having compassion well it's a great organization i love the name you know but also food systems are changing and what a fantastic alliance that people who who are you know looking after animal welfare are linking up with people who are trying to reduce meat from diets and you know all these, all this wonderful, basically business collaborations that can be done uh, and are being done. It, as you said, the delivery, as I said, actually, uh, the delivery cup. Mm. And she's Nick Stern said, and then I copied it, and then I said it, and now I'm crediting myself. Very nice, yeah, no, very good. And I have to say one other thing, and this isn't necessarily very consequential for the future of the world, but it's very nice. A lot of people listen to the podcast. 
Thanks, yes. everybody. So many yeah. people have come to say, we listen to your podcast. We love your podcast. I know. It's lovely. Thank you. And I have to say, but you're telling people listening to the podcast that people that listen people, to the podcast. And it's the strangest if, thing. If you are at well, COP, sorry. do come up and say hello to us. And we would always love to talk to you. But in particular, you have no idea how happy it makes Paul Dickinson to have selfies with people. You know, I find it very difficult. I've got like four security now. I've got the baseball cap down. You know, I'm kind of being moved from black limousine to black limousine, basically faster and faster. I can hardly take the pressure, but I'm sort of still available if you want to talk to me, even though it's very difficult for me because there are so Is many it? people. Yeah, because yeah. you're so busy doing but, other but, things. But, you know, I, would, I was just sharing with you that I came, just came back from delivering the Macaulay Lecture, which is um, Scotland's... Big deal, right? Yeah, it's a big deal in Scotland. Um, and the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, was there. And she, first of all, uh, in her introduction, she thanked us for bringing her on our podcast. How cool is that when actually we're in debt to her? And then she referenced the podcast several times in her speech. And then in the question and answer period, she came back to it again to the concept of outrage and optimism. So I kind of have a feeling that we actually nailed it with this outrage it was and optimism. My, it was my thing. converse that nailed it with Nicola, I'm sure. No, the honest truth is it isn't our podcast. The honest truth is that we have the enormous privilege to have some incredibly uh, energetic and enthusiastic listeners who are talking to each other about the work they're doing and they happen to be kind enough to mention the podcast when That's they do true. that. Yeah, but yeah. thank you very much, the person who's listening to this, because you're the podcast, really. We're just like the, the voices. Well done, Paul. Um, now, we, I think we should talk just for a minute about inclusion at the COP because that's obviously a big issue for people. There's been a lot of questions about are NGOs properly represented? Are there enough voices from the Global South? I heard that in the first two days, so up until this evening, the World Leaders Summit, there's only been four NGOs, not, not four NGOs, four individuals representing NGOs that have been allowed into the high-level part of the Blue Zone. So... What do we feel about the inclusion? Well, yeah. and, and, and honestly, I have never seen as many police yeah. at a cop. Yeah. I mean, the display of police and the um, fencing that has been built around a cop, I, I just found it actually quite intimidating to me. They're all very friendly, by the way. They're all yeah. very friendly, yeah. but just the numbers. I mean, I come from a non-militarized country, as I will remind you. And so to see all of these police... You haven't and seen many guns, these... Christiana, have you? No, I haven't seen many guns, but, but, but more police than there are in the entire country of Costa Rica. And um, you're saying you've got no police either, no army, no police. Like, no, we do what have police, but crime? very few. No, we have very few police. But but my point is <laughs> that I have never seen a cop that has had as much security around it. Yeah. Um, and and that's concerning. That is concerning. The fact that I, I keep on asking. I don't know how many times I've asked today. Well, where are the youth activists, because I'm sure there's some place, but they're not visible yeah, that's from true. where they're we are. They're being kept so far away. They're yeah. being kept very, very far away. And I thought it was quite delightful that tonight um, Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister of Scotland, was very much supporting young activists to raise their voices yeah. and keep the pressure up. And she said, you know, we politicians, we need to be made uncomfortable by you. Because we're not doing our job. And yeah. she's right. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. I also do think that um, the big days of, of protest are to come, right? It's this Friday, the school strike, and then Saturday, the global day of action, which are going to see 
hundreds of thousands of people descend on Glasgow. So I think the big moment of activism uh-huh. is yet to come. Now, okay. I don't know that. I suspect you're also right that actually, I mean, last night I was trying to get to a dinner that was like, I don't know, 300 yards from the cop and it, I had to walk at least six miles to get there with all of the road closures. So I think everything is being kept a long way away. Is it a sign of the times? I think, well, I th- yeah, I think it is to a degree. All future cops will be held in Costa Rica where everything's perfect. All the time. Even at night, even when everyone's asleep, it's still All perfect. All the time. <laughs> Although I once saw some turtles in Costa Rica trying to get to the sea and one of them, one or two of them couldn't make it. Just saying, even in Costa Rica. Look at Christiana. I've never seen Christiana look so sad about anything. A tiny little turtle. Um, do you think we should say goodnight to listeners and have our food? Yes, please. Yeah. All right. Um, this has obviously been a slightly freewheeling episode of Outrageous Optimism. Um, Christiana is leaving tomorrow. You're leaving us going back to Costa Rica. Paul and I will be here till the end of the weekend. I am sure that we will be producing. In fact, we're doing a live podcast. Sharon, is that correct? Absolutely correct. We will be um, in the SDG 7 pavilion talking about billions of reasons why we need to transition to renewable energy in the developing world with Tom Paul uh, Raj Shah, the CEO of the Rockefeller Foundation, Per Hagenis, the CEO of the IKEA Foundation, and Andrew Steer, the CEO of the Bezos Earth Fund. And that will be the SDG 7 Pavilion when? Thursday, the 4th of November at 2.15pm, Join us. Yeah, and if you come along, I I will make sure Paul Dickinson gives you a signature. I mean, the pen's only got so much ink, Tom. <laughs> last thing I'm going to say, I'm going to leave the last word to Jennifer Morgan, the executive director of Greenpeace. I said to today... And what, a wonderful human being. And a wonderful human being. I said, what can we... And a good friend. And yeah. a good friend. I said, what can we tell the listeners about outrage and optimism? And she said, and she's been working hard, and I was inter- interrupting her during lunch, but she had the good grace to say... People can be active in every area of their lives and particularly holding their politicians to account. Woohoo! Nicely said. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you around COP or see you soon. Bye. 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 Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Zero. Hey, it's Clay back here in Detroit. Thank you for listening to another episode of Outrage and Optimism. It was fun, right? A chance to sit on the couch with the gang, chill for a bit after the World Leader Summit at COP26. Yeah. Now, there's much more COP26 to go, but we need to get our mind right for the rest of it because it's going to be a marathon. So here's a few pieces in the show notes you can check out that I think could help us get in that right mindset. Okay, to start, Vanessa Nakate. So she's an activist from Kampala, Uganda. She has this fantastic feature in time. She's on the cover. She describes a bit of what it's like to expand the narrative of climate change in Africa, uh, bring awareness to communities. Many of us who pay attention to Global North media outlets and narratives may not have heard of, and she's challenging the status quo. And that's what we like to see. She's super active at COP26. You'll hear from her. So go check out her timepiece and give her a follow. Next thing to check out, we've mentioned him before on the show. James Lovelock uh, gives a Gaia Theory 101 in The Guardian. And 
applies it to COP26 and this moment. And it's a really great short read, refreshing. Got a link to that as well. The next piece is from David Wallace-Wells, who's a friend of the podcast. He wrote a piece on climate reparations. It's really comprehensive, somewhat exhaustive, if, if I can be honest, but essential reading for COP26. David is one of those people who's like too smart and too knowledgeable, and I, I, and I say that in the best way possible. He does a great job, not really just kind of spouting his own ideas, but sourcing ideas from an incredible array of thinkers across the globe. And I actually forgot at one point that he was the one who was writing it. So informative, challenging, read this one, but take little breaks. It's kind of long, but it's really good. Okay, and last but not least, I have the speech from the Secretary General at the opening of COP. It's so clear and radical and true and convicting. You know, he really leaves nothing off the table. He lays out perfectly the moment we're in, what it's going to take to meet it, and it kind of begs the question, are we ready? Because either we stop climate change or climate change will stop us. (laughs) Oh, and of course, how could I forget? I was going to link to an article to the Pope Costa Rica coffee thing, but a video of it is actually on Instagram. So I've got you a link to that. It's actually pretty amazing. He gets this bag of coffee handed to him. He just, and he just like passes it off. Like, yo, grind this now. (laughs) And he also just like subtly blesses all Costa Ricans all at once. Just, yeah, just go watch it. I'm just looking at my calendar. It's only Wednesday. Okay, it's only Wednesday. All right, so yeah, we're in full swing week one. And we've got one more episode coming out this week on Friday from our live event on Thursday in the SDG7 Pavilion. If you're in Glasgow, go check it out and get Paul to sign something for you. Tom's making it happen. Okay, all right, hit subscribe. We'll see you on Friday.